CBS releases an official series description. Melissa Benoist speaks with Variety. And we talk Supergirl Way of the World. This This is Supergirl Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's upcoming Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. And I'm Rebecca Johnson. In this episode, we're joined by our special guest, Ian Boucher, to help us discuss the trade paperback, Supergirl Way of the World. As Harvey Dent would say, I'm very happy to be here for my second podcast ever. (laughs) I like that. But first up, we have... The News. CBS has released an official series description for Supergirl, uh, and it goes a little something like this. <clears throat> Supergirl is an action-adventure drama based on the DC Comics character Kara Zor-El, played by Melissa Benoist, Superman's, Kal-El's, cousin, who after 12 years of keeping her powers a secret on Earth, decides to finally embrace her superhuman abilities and be the hero she was always meant to be. 12-year-old Kara escaped the doomed planet Krypton with her parents' help at the same time as the infant Kal-El. Protected and raised on Earth by her foster family, the Danvers, Kara, uh, Kara grew up in the shadow of her foster sister, Alex, Kyler Lee, and learned to conceal the phenomenal powers she shares with her famous cousin in order to keep her identity a secret. Years later, at 24, Kara lives in National City, assisting media mogul and fierce taskmaster Cat Grant, played by Golden Globe Award winner Callista Flockhart, who just hired the Daily Planet's former photographer, James the Grown Man Olsen, uh, played by McCod Brooks, and of course I added that part, as her new art director. However, Kara's days of keeping her talents a secret are over when Hank Henshaw, played by David Harwood, Uh, head of a super-secret agency where her sister also works, enlists her to help them protect the citizens of National City from sinister threats. Though Kara will need to find a way to manage her newfound empowerment with her very human relationships, her heart soars as she takes to the skies as Supergirl to fight crime. I think that about sums it up. (laughs) That's like, that's serious. That's not really a summary. That's like... Let's sit down and read you the treatment of this whole show. Yeah, I think they refer to it as the long series description, which is very apt. It is a long (laughs) series description. Well, along with the series description, we got a time slot of Monday nights at 8, 7 central. And when that was announced, some began to wonder if there would be competition between CBS's Supergirl and Fox's Gotham. But according to Deadline.com, quote, CBS's brass said that Supergirl is broader and more relatable, featuring romance. So it doesn't need to compete for the same audience as Gotham. And the head of scheduling at CBS, Kelly Call, was quoted as saying, 
quote, I think it's wrong to think that if there's another genre show in that time slot that we can't succeed, unquote. So, yeah, they definitely address that head on because a lot of people are talking about that. And I definitely, I agree. I mean, look, we're living in a day and age where, you know, not only do we have a million ways to watch a show, but networks are starting to be smart and counting, you know, live plus three, live plus seven uh, into their ratings and factoring that into stuff. So it wouldn't surprise me if like the core audience for Gotham and the core audience for Supergirl watched those shows live and then recorded the other one or kept or caught it on Hulu or something like that. But I feel like both shows will be watched by the people who are meant to watch them and it won't be a problem. Right. Yeah. They're, they're a different audience, but at the same time, there's people like me who will watch both of them, but one of them I will probably watch live and then another one I'll DVR. So yeah, it's, <laughs> exactly. it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where that would happen to any show, not even just two genre shows competing against each other. If you want the hot off the presses, you know, Gotham news, you'll, of course, be listening to Legends of Gotham. And then if you uh, are listening for the hot off the presses Supergirl news, you'll listen to us here at Supergirl Radio. And then you listen to the other episodes once you've watched the other show. So (laughs) we're here to serve all of your needs here at the uh, (laughs) DC TV podcast family. And uh, Melissa Benoist uh, actually spoke with Variety about how she got the role of Supergirl. She said she wanted the part because, quote, not only because she's a strong female and a female hero, which I think is so important and will speak to so many people at this time right now in the world, I was also so drawn to her humanity, even though she's an extraterrestrial with powers. I was drawn to how flawed and complicated she is. She's more complicated than you see in superheroes nowadays. Greg breathed that life into her from the get-go. He even said to me in one of the auditions, she's like the Annie Hall of superheroes. <laughs> and if you're wondering what Annie Hall has to do with anything, because I know I was, Melissa <laughs> thinks it's because, quote, she is quirky and eccentric and intelligent and on this journey of self-discovery. She's figuring out how to be a woman and the difficulties of that, unquote. Also in that Variety interview, Melissa talks about going through 10 auditions and three screen tests, Supergirl's boxing skills, and about getting strong to do the wire work involved in flying sequences. Yeah, that must be such a workout just to do that stuff. Oh, yeah. You got um, to be strong in the core area to do, <laughs> to do wire work. So I don't think I totally. can do it. I know. Melissa's core must be, like, on point by now. Like, <laughs> um, but E! News also spoke with Melissa Benoist about her Supergirl suit. Melissa told E! that she went to costume designer Colleen Atwood's house to try it on for the first time. And even though she had on an eye patch due to an injury, the second she put the suit on, something shifted inside her. Uh, Melissa said, quote, It's kind of impossible not to feel strength and empowerment and positivity and hope. It really is pretty surreal. That's cool because I've heard Henry Cavill talk about when he wears his Superman suit, it feels like there's, you know, something emanating out of the suit. So I think there's something to that. (laughs) Well, Helen Slater recently spoke with People.com, and while she couldn't go into much detail about Supergirl, she did say that the show is, quote, so sincere and lovely and the writing is so good, unquote. She also added, I think it's going to be a big hit. May 19th. Ask Ocelio over at TVLine.com uh, gave us some Supergirl teases from Laura Benanti. Uh, she said, quote, you'll see me in flashbacks, you'll see me in hologram, and then you'll see me in one 
other capacity, which I can't tell you about. <laughs> but it is the thing that makes me the most excited, and it's why I wanted to do the show. Um, it's curious because I wonder what else could it possibly be. Um, Benanti added that Kara's Supergirl outfit is based on the long blue gown Allura wears in the trailer, saying, quote, I have the same belt that she has, and the S, which is our family crest, it actually doesn't stand for super, in the top. It's very hot Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Benanti also spoke to Playbill.com about her role as Alora and her connection to Greg Berlanti, saying, quote, I did Eli Stone with him many years ago, and he just called me up and said, we'd like you to play this character. We want her to be somebody that people can fall in love with and relate to and be devastated by the fact that she's dead. And there's also a spoiler that I can't tell you about, which is the main reason why I wanted to do the show. But they don't show that in the trailer. But I can't tell you about it. Top secret, <laughs> unquote. So <laughs> Laura Benanti is uh, dropping some teases about her. her Damn it, Laura Benanti, stop her teasing role. me with this information if you're not going to tell us things. <laughs> As of May 14th, uh, Variety spoke to Greg Berlanti about Supergirl possibly crossing over to Arrow, The Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. But it seems like that's not something that's on the table right now. Uh, according to Berlanti, quote, the network has said publicly at this point that they're going to keep her to themselves. I always approach the shows as a fan first, so I would love to see a crossover. I think in success, all things are possible. But there's a lot that would have to happen before everybody might say yes to that. Um, which I kind of agree with. I mean, I, I would rather see her be her own show first before anything like that happens anyway. Yeah, they've been going back and forth for a while about oh it could cross over no it can't cross over and it's kind of driving me crazy because it's like okay just pick one uh but yeah I, I think it would be good to see her kind of stand on her own uh first but man i would love to see supergirl in the flash in a foot race that would be so fun <laughs> mm -hmm. um and speaking of Greg Berlanti and crossovers, the cover variety for the week of May 18th shows Greg Berlanti with Grant Gustin in his Flash costume and Melissa Benoist in her Supergirl costume. So they look pretty cool all standing there together. So that's Seriously, I love it. Fun cover. Comicbook.com wrote an article about the Supergirl trailer and the potential future Supergirl, uh, potential future Supergirl villains that were teased on the screen in the DEO. While some fans speculated that the purple-skinned character at the bottom was Parasite, ComicBook.com thinks it could be Despero. Well, it, it definitely looked like Parasite to me initially, but I think that the Despero possibility, that's, that's, a, that's a fair speculation. I, I had no idea either, but I was very excited to hear some theories about it. EW.com listed the Supergirl trailer as one of the best fall trailers, writing, quote, Supergirl might remind you of SNL's Black Widow parody, but the nearly six-minute trailer lit up the room when it screened for advertisers, unquote. So that's, that's pretty cool that even though people were kind of making fun of it with the uh, SNL connection, it, it was cool that EW said, you know what, despite all that, it's, it was still a big hit. And um, I'll take this opportunity for a plug, because we did uh, have one of our contributors over at the Mary Sue write an article about that, and specifically why people shouldn't uh, compare the Supergirl trailer to the SNL Black Widow parody because it's uh, they're two totally different things and the reasons why you should say certain things about Black Widow are not the same criteria by which you would judge Supergirl. Um, and there's many different ways to be female and a hero. So I would definitely 
uh, go over to the Mary Sue and check that out because it was a really interesting uh, piece on why you should not compare those two things. Uh, And speaking of that Supergirl trailer uh, that debuted after the CBS upfronts, Adweek.com wrote an article about it, speaking with George Schweitzer, who spent 20 years overseeing the trailers for the CBS upfronts. Uh, According to the article, Schweitzer's group consulted with the CW's marketing and press teams, who gave them advice on how to launch a superhero show, and they were warned that the trailer would go viral quickly, and it did. Uh, So far, it has over 11 million views on YouTube, which is more than all the other CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox upfront trailers combined. And it's still growing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When I was uh, making notes for this, it started off at 10 million views, as what it said in the article, the (laughs) adweek.com article. And then when I looked at it today, it had over 11 million. So it went up 1 million uh, by the time uh, that we recorded this from the time that I was looking at that article. So, yeah, it's 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 got a lot of eyeballs on it. That is for sure. Yes. Eleven million five hundred forty three thousand. That is a lot. And sixty eight. (laughs) That's a lot of people. Well, Schweitzer explained why they put the trailer together as they did, saying, quote, We wanted to make sure we captured three things, heroics, humor, and heart, because to us, that was the essence of Supergirl. But we really felt we wanted to show both sides, the relationship, emotion, female empowerment side, and then the action, uh, because they wanted to say, hey, superhero fans, there's this, too. So I, I think that's really cool because as an editor myself, I, I thought it was a cool behind-the-scenes look at the hows and the whys of what they did to put that together because there could be so many different ways that you could have edited that trailer. And so it was cool to find out why they did what they did. And now, you know, we've talked about the trailer, um, but I did want to take a second to mention the other big fat superheroic elephant in the room, uh, and that is the leak of the Supergirl pilot. Um, Yes, we know it leaked, uh, and no, we haven't watched it, Uh, neither one of us, although I think it was very difficult for both of us not to seek it out, but we have not. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and there are a couple of reasons for that um, that I just want to mention briefly, and then we're not going to talk about the pilot again until we watch it when it premieres, okay? So... Listen up. Um, I mean, first of all, there have been uh, there's been some speculation as to whether or not this was actually a leak or whether it was a, you know, a quote unquote leak by CBS, you know, trying to as like a marketing gimmick, basically. And um, whether it was a marketing gimmick or not, I mean, I know people have watched it. There's already, you know, think pieces and reviews on it. But either way, I uh, I know I personally don't want to take away from that water cooler moment when everybody watches it when it premieres, you know, and uh, female superhero stuff already has a hard enough time surviving as it is. Basically, you can have a million male superhero uh, things that can fail. Like you can have, you know, a million Spider-Man movies, you can have a million Hulk movies, you can have a million whatever. And like, if one sucks, they'll just make another one. And if that one sucks, they'll just make another one and they'll keep doing it. Whereas you have a Catwoman and it doesn't do well, and then it's like, see, nobody wants this. Um, yeah. you, know, you have an Electra movie, and it's like, see, nobody wants this. Um, and it takes them forever to do stuff like a, you know, like a Wonder Woman movie, or you know, female superhero stuff has to apparently be so careful because you know, if it fails, it's that much harder for there to be another one. And so, I would hate to think that something like a leak would take away numbers from the premiere. 
you know I definitely saying? agree with you 100%. I definitely think people should. I, I know it's tempting to watch it because it's something you can download on the internet, but it's definitely important to watch it live when it airs. And, and I know, I know lots of us have DVR or TiVo or whatever you have that you, the way you watch things that is not in a live mode, but it's so, those live numbers are so important. And especially for CBS, this is not something like the CW where you can get 2 million people watching it with a low demo number that doesn't fly at CBS. So it's really, really important that people watch it live and that people uh, watch it on CBS. And when you watch it, I would also encourage people to tweet about it when you're watching it uh, in November, tweet about it, Facebook about it, let, let CBS know that you're watching it on their network when it's on because those kinds of things really matter. So uh, I definitely think that even if you've, say you did get tempted and watch <laughs> and did download this link, it's still really important that you watch when it uh, airs in November because it would be really, really awesome to see this succeed and to do well. And clearly there is a demand for it because I don't think 11 million people are going to watch this trailer on YouTube just to compare it to the SNL Black Widow right. parody. <laughs> There's right. clearly uh, uh, at least 11 million people in the world who want to see this succeed on television. So, yeah, it's so important that you guys watch this live. Yes, it's outdated. Yes, there's other ways we watch stuff. And I, I totally get it. And listen, I, I kind of want both broadcast networks and advertisers to figure it out and to, you know, figure out a way to make those other ways of watching things financially viable so that we don't have to worry about this anymore. I get it. But like, yeah, that's still the way they do it. So regardless of of what you DVR or, you know, watching it on Hulu or whatever, the live numbers are still the ones that they count more. Exactly. Yes, they do count the other ones, but they count the live numbers more because that matters more to advertisers. That matters more to their bottom line. And yeah, it sucks for us, but until they figure it out and catch up to the rest of the world, um, we have to deal with that. And that's how they make their decisions. So yeah, just think about that in November when you are, uh, you know, especially if you, if you did download it and you've watched it already and you loved it, watch it again. <laughs> and also just tell you, and also, you and also, uh, tell your friends if you downloaded it and watched it and loved it, Tell your friends to watch it in November. Get everybody you know watching the show. So use this as an opportunity to spread the word of mouth about how great the show is. Although I have to say, and this is, it kind of annoyed me, like, because there is a part of me that wonders if it is like a, a marketing ploy by CBS, like they leaked it supposedly, but they actually just wanted to, you know, use it as a marketing thing. And I get that. But at the same time, you know, we've had shows like Glee and like Caprica released their pilots like almost a full year before the show actually premiered. And, you know, those did fine. And uh, it's, I wish they would just do it without the pretense. Like if that's what they're going for, just release it. Right. Let people watch it. <laughs> Don't stop with all the like cloak and dagger stuff. Just let us watch the dang show. That's what you want us to do. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll put it on iTunes a little while before the show airs like they did with a New Girl and I remember, yeah. I remember I got New Girl for free on iTunes before it premiered because she, uh, Zoe Deschanel references a Rebecca Johnson on the show. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, that may be a thing that happens too, that, you know, if they, if they want to put it out there like that, there, there are ways to do that without having to leak it, um, so that people can download it. So, uh, 
just use this as a, a chance to spread word of mouth uh, and and good press for the show. And don't not watch because you've already seen it. I personally am not watching just because I, I like surprises. Like I'm not one who seeks out spoilers or whatever, but that's just me. But if you don't care about that, make sure you watch it in November. Um, but uh, anyway, so we promised you a discussion on the Supergirl uh, trade paperback way of the world. So I think we should start getting into that now. And the description for Supergirl way of the world from dccomics.com says, after promising a dying boy that he could cure his illness, Supergirl upsets the universe's balance of life and death in this dramatic title collecting Supergirl number 28 through 33. And I have to say, this was kind of amazing. Um, and it's a slimmer volume than the other things we've read. Um, but it's, it really packs a punch. Like, it's, it's, it's shorter but more effective, I think. Um, but as always, let's, uh, let's start by talking about Kara. And maybe I'll open it up to our guest first. Uh, Ian, what do you think about Kara Zorel in this particular story arc? Well, I actually feel exactly the opposite of how you feel about the story. Um, oh well, wow. let's fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I liked Kara. Or, sorry, Kara in in this story. <laughs> she had a good personal conflict to overcome and did some cool things. One link the script made that I thought was actually good was where it linked moving on with Thomas to moving on with Kara's own life. So I was right there with Kara most of the time. But I, but I don't know if the authors were instead of being like an insightful journey, which I was really hoping for. Some of Kara's major struggles I thought were, were just like torn away from her. Like if, if I were a superhero and I had to teach a young superhero things, the first thing I would put on my list to not do is tell them to be content with the status quo. Like I, I felt like Kara was in, in the Truman Show and everyone else had to keep her contained. Hmm. Um, like Supergirl at one point says, okay, we have this technology that might help heal Thomas and Superman says no Kara you can't Thomas's parents won't understand and she basic, she's basically like so okay so let's explain it to them use, use data and Superman's like no we have no role I'll go tell them <laughs> um, and I understand Superman and Wonder Woman try to preserve the cultures they watch over to a certain extent and Kara can sort of jump the gun but I don't feel like Supergirl was was facilitated. She felt vilified to me. Hmm. Um, hmm. There was good potential here, I thought, especially if they focused more on the Dolok angle, because I thought that link was cool. But I felt like the authors believed that questioning the status quo was wrong in itself. Instead of learn something, Kara, or teach others, Kara, in the process, it was, we told you so, Kara. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, like, Supergirl tells, uh, you know, she said, and I, and I think her wanting to cure cancer and help Thomas came from a really good place. And there's there's one bit in there where she says, what if we've been all wrong? What if we've all been fighting crime and saving dozens when we could have been saving billions, saving yeah. everyone? And I wondered when she said that, and, and the you, you mentioned Wonder Woman and Superman, how they kind of told her, you know, why would you make that kind of a promise to a child? I, I sort of yeah. I sort of wondered if Superman and Wonder Woman, maybe in an earlier part of their superhero career, maybe they had asked that same question. What if we could save yeah. everyone? And and maybe they've learned from their mistakes and how 
oh, maybe I've tried to make a promise like that to somebody and I failed. Maybe it's just a, a good rule of thumb to just not make any promises. I didn't read her as uh, as vilified at all. I really uh, felt like she was like she was at her most identifiable to the reader. Because I feel like the yeah. reader, like all of us would think that, yeah, if I had superpowers, of course you'd save everyone. But also since we don't have superpowers, we don't think about the fact that, oh, wait, you know, just because you, you can do certain things doesn't mean you should. And I think what Kara was being counseled against was basically giving people something that they're not asking for. You know, so instead of like, allowing these parents to grieve for their already dead son. Like, it's not as if, you know, like, it's one thing when you're trying to save him before he dies. It's another thing for him to be dead. His parents are already grieving. And then she's like, but wait, I can still do something. It's like, you can't jerk somebody around like that. Like, that's kind of horrible. And so I, I feel like the, the whole moving on lesson is something that not only, you know, superheroes should learn and know about, but I think, it's something everybody needs to to learn and know about. And I think that showing the reader that through Kara's journey was a helpful reminder because it's, you know, she's basically playing with life and death. And that's always a tricky thing. Um, and I'm all about like science. Like I'm all about if you can figure out a way to have less people die and cure diseases. Great. I am all for it. But you can't, you also can't impose that on somebody who doesn't want it, you know, and like, it's a, it's a tricky thing, but I think that I, I, I certainly don't see her as, as having been vilified for feeling that way. Um, it's understandable, but it's also equally understandable that she realizes, you know what, sometimes people just need to move on because that's the only way that we can survive as people. My, my thing, though, is even before Thomas was dead, they were like linking immortality with curing cancer and and like linking doing more than fighting crime with something that shouldn't be done because it affects the natural order of things. And I felt like it wasn't about the Thomas situation. It was about the question in itself. Hmm. And that's what bothered me when I was reading it. Well, I mean, let's talk about then about how it affects some of the other characters because we have Resurrection Man Mm -hmm. and uh, we also have... uh, What's his face? What's that That other, the villain, basically? The guy, uh, now I'm looking for his name. I forget. The guy who turned about, into a uh, big burly monster. Um, oh, the, the doctor? Dr. Luzano. Yeah, Luzano, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. Because um, they also provide some interesting perspective as to what happens when you can live forever. I really liked Resurrection Man. I hadn't heard of him before this story, so I thought uh, it, was, it was a very cool introduction to him. And, of course, he fit thematically, and I thought him and Supergirl made a great team. And mm-hmm. I liked how Supergirl couldn't kill him. Yeah. Um, even though I thought her acknowledging that she would probably catch him if yeah. he jumped off a cliff was kind of <laughs> counterintuitive. <laughs> it's like, well, you know he's going to be okay, so why are you going to catch him? But but she yeah. still has that like within reflex. her. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was cool. And... And I, I, I thought it worked fine as a theme with him saying, but it, I thought it was too easy and it, it's it been used a lot in literature. I mean, ever since Gulliver's Travels, at least with immortality, is, isn't all it's cracked up to be. Um, but I still enjoyed him a lot. He was, I, I would say behind Kara, he was my favorite character in the story. 
Yeah, Resurrection Man was new to me, too. I had never heard of him, and his powers are actually pretty cool. Supergirl says you get a new power every time you die. And uh, yeah. so the, their their plan is to just keep killing him over and over again until he winds up with the power to cure cancer, which is like, okay, well, how long is that going to take? <laughs> <Right? You know? laughs> it's like, not exactly the most speedy plan. I mean, um, I guess it's better than, you know, trying to do a whole bunch of research or whatever. But I mean, you never know what power he's going to have. He might have a end up with a power that gives people cancer you don't you don't know what's going to exactly. happen um but i think your point uh ian about the mortality is not or immortality is not what it's cracked up to be uh because supergirl actually asks him why aren't you the happiest person i've ever met you know yeah. like if he's never really really gonna die why isn't he happier and it actually makes me think of d the movie death becomes her i don't know if y'all have ever seen that with meryl streep and goldie hawn and uh, oh yes no. we like spoiler alert this is a movie from like 1992 so it's been a while but at the end of the movie like they've uh Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn have been living forever for a long long time and they you know they eventually kind of end up looking terrible and they're just kind of miserable like everyone they know has died and you know it's just they're kind of stuck with each other even though they don't really care for each other very much <laughs> they were kind of rivals turned friends in this situation but th basically what happens is they're not happy either they they're living forever but they're not happy and so i thought that question of why aren't you the happiest person i've ever met i thought that was so poignant because here they were trying to prevent deaths but at the same time people who live forever might not end up being the happiest people in the world. So I thought that was an interesting question for him. And yeah. Dr. Luzano, um, even, even though it's ultimately sort of pessimistic with what happens with him, I, what I liked about that was I like how Kara gave Dr. Luzano another chance. Like that, that was just interesting in terms of a superhero story. And again, even though the, the narrator told her that she was wrong, to do that. And, and I think that the story could easily reinforce what a kid thinks about the prison system if they're reading the story. But I feel like if you stick with Carr's point of view in this story, it might provide a different sort of spark of inspiration. And I thought that was cool. Can you remind me what you're, re what you're referencing? Oh, I'm um, sorry. As far as her. Yes. Where, where uh, Resur Resurrection Man says something like, look, Kara, you're young. And I know that you want to have faith in people, but this guy... It, it is bad news. Don't trust him. Right, Cars, right, right. Car said, "Yeah, you're, you're. Um, I, I don't trust him, um, but who knows? Maybe he never had a chance to do something good. Just, just that one line. I thought, wow, that that was a cool inclusion with yeah. him. And I actually wish they would have explored a little bit more about Car breaking him out of prison and the implications of that. <laughs> yeah, they. She basically like looks in the security camera and she's like, "I'll promise I'll fix the damage and I'll bring it back when I'm finished with him." <laughs> like, yeah, right. that was kind of funny. Yeah, she just kind of does it and is like, you know, it's it's easier to uh, to give an apology than ask for permission. Yeah. Like that's totally her, her ethos about exactly all of this. what she did. I, uh, as far as the, you know, questioning stuff, um, cause I thought that was an interesting point that you brought up Ian. Um, and, uh, I don't know from the, from the way I saw her, it wasn't that like it was saying that she shouldn't question things or even that she shouldn't push. Um, but that everybody should kind of learn when they need to stop, 
you know, because like you can uh-huh. easily become obsessed with fixing a problem. And, oh, you know, and she says, you know, at a certain point when, he, you know, when he's dead, she's like, I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to bring him back. And then it's like, whoa, you're to have to know when to turn it off. And for your own sanity, as well as for the people that you're trying to help, it's like if you become that obsessed with every problem you're trying to solve, you won't be effective. You won't get anything done because you'll be so fixated on this one thing. You won't see everybody else that needs your help. So I thought that was a good lesson for her, too. Um, but one thing that I did, uh, and, you know, Rebecca and I have been talking about several of these trades now kind of leading up to this, and I thought this was an interesting wrap-up of all those things. But I also really appreciated that this wasn't, to me anyway, it didn't feel like her standard, I don't know how to be a superhero yet, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, like this kind of felt more like a problem that any superhero would face over and over again. It didn't seem like something that she was feeling because she was young, because she was, you know, not knowledgeable about how to be a hero. Because um, I could see any other hero in, you know, the DC universe or anywhere else kind of being hit with that one thing that that really, you know, cuts close to the bone, like a dying child, like a, you know, somebody close to them in danger, whatever it is, that thing that that really shakes them to the core and becoming obsessed with it and, and realizing when they have to like pull back. Um, so I feel like for the first time in this run of Supergirl, we're seeing her deal with a problem that any of her superhero peers would have to deal with. And I like that. Yeah, I like that too. I, I just didn't like how she was trying to grow as a hero and everybody was constantly just pushing her back down and telling her no, no, no. Even though she does fly in, in the face of Superman's orders by taking Thomas's mom to go talk to her, at, at the same time, I, I just feel like I mean, I mean, obviously, Supergirl's plan didn't work, and it, it was a very rash plan to begin with. But I, I just, I, I, after that happens, it's like just because this failed, really before it even got started, they're they're just not going to research. Uh, cancer anymore because it's just part of part of the world I just to me it just felt like Supergirl was constantly being pushed down yeah that's that's a good point that you make about you know just because this one thing doesn't work you know you still got to try for it and I what I liked about Supergirl in this story is that even though she does kind of get pushed down and kind of beat down a little bit. She does learn some lessons and I thought oh, that yeah. was I thought that was important for her as a growing superhero that she Superman clearly in my in my view has learned this same lesson in some previous situation of his in the past. Like I feel like Superman at one point tried to do something like this and he understands the implications of if you give Thomas this stuff, it might make him a monster, you know, it might turn him into a monster. And what if you do that and something bad happens? You know, you you want to make the parents involved in this decision. And so I think that was a good lesson for Supergirl to know that even though she does have all of these powers and these abilities, there are some ethical things that she needs to think about when she wants to make these rash decisions. You know, what if that does make Thomas something unrecognizable to his parents and maybe it is better for them just to move on and grieve since he has died. So I think there is yeah. um, something that is good for her to learn in there. It was nice to see that she was determined and that she wanted to do something to help. But at the same time, it's like, 
you know, at some point you have to let it go. The one point um, that I do uh, agree with you, Ian, actually, and hearing you talk about it again made me realize, yeah, you know what? That was kind of lame. The whole Superman uh, and Wonder Woman kind of giving her, you know, a lesson, you know, the whole you shouldn't do this, Kara, because blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, because one of the things I love the most about this story was that she was kind of coming into her own. And Uh I wish that they would have let her. You know, I wish they would have been wise enough to be like, you know what? Sometimes people need to make their own mistakes. Mm-hmm. Or guide her. Right. In- instead of just tell her no. Well, I think that's what, in their opinion, that's what they were doing, was guiding yeah. her. Uh, by trying to make, like, lead her to making, quote, the right decision. Um, but they, you know, it's like they got to make their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, obviously they're not her parents, but they're kind of acting in that way. And I think all parents are kind of like, they don't want their children to suffer. They don't want their children to to fall on their face. But it's like, that's how we learn. We fall on our faces and we get back up. And I feel like they have trouble letting her go to fall on her face. That's um, a really good point. Which, you know, and, and that's the part that I, I would agree with you that they – you know, by them telling her no, by them doing that, they're not – they might pay her lip service and tell her that she's a hero and able to do all this stuff, but they're not really showing her that that's what they think, in my opinion. <laughs> so now we oh. kind of are uh, – sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go go ahead. I think we're going to address in a second. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, no, I was going to, um, you know, move on to like what we kind of – enjoy or didn't enjoy from the comic specifically. Um, and Ian, you've kind of discussed it already. Um, as far as the stuff you don't like, um, feel free to continue with that. But what are the, the parts that you, you did like about the comic? Well, before I jump into what I, I did like, I also wanted to say something that else keeps nagging me. For, um, again, <laughs> the, um, going back to Candor. At the end of Candor, she sells Batman this Kryptonian technology. Kara sells Batman this Kryptonian technology. She calls it a source dock, and it keeps your cellular structure in order all th- at, supposedly at all times. And what I want to know is, what happened to that thing? <laughs> <laughs> I was also wondering, uh, what would, they, they dropped that Reactron thing about, you know, what am I supposed to do, cure cancer thing? Yeah. In, in a couple of trades back, and like... Are they ever going to revisit that? I don't know. But it, it seemed like that might come into play, and then it didn't. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about these, these things that have kind of dropped in these trades. Um, but w- the things I did like about this comic, uh, I, I thought there was some, some good art throughout it from the different artists. Um, I, I thought, again, I liked the Dr. Luzano thing, just that little moment uh, sort of to hopefully provide some sparks of inspiration for younger readers in terms of thinking about criminal justice and superheroes. And I, I thought, like, like what you said, Teresa, I thought Kara was really coming into her own in this story, and I enjoyed that quite a bit. Well, I have uh, some good things and some uh, not-so-good things. Uh, my big issue with this trade, like the one thing I was just like, ugh, were the time jumps. There are some time jumps later on and i was like okay this is giving me a headache it goes from 50 years later (laughs) so so it goes 50 years later three minutes ago one month ago one year ago 10 years ago 30 years ago and i was like what is happening i don't understand this time like it sort of reminded me of like some 
terrible TV pilots that I was like, okay, this like, uh, oh, the event, I think, was one of those TV pilots that like time jumped like 50 times during one episode. And I was like, all right, you've already lost me. I don't want to watch any more of this. So that, <laughs> that kind of thing in the book was it made me almost want to not care about that part of the story just because it was so much at once. So I really had to think about it. And sometimes I don't want to have to think about stuff that hard. Um, but I, I think it was it was a nice, it was a neat idea, but I think it was just too much, too much jumping. Um, it could have been done a lot more simply too, I think. I think so. And maybe maybe not go from 50 years later to three minutes ago. That is a severe... Uh, time jump. Uh, so, so that was like the uh, overall. I really liked this one, but that was the the stuff I was just like, I don't like that. Um, but for the the good things, I I really uh, liked that I could follow the story in this. I I, I could see where things were going um, in terms of what is happening with Supergirl, and I could kind of follow and go with her. And uh, there was a real clear through line. It was a real quick and easy read. I know we talked about how it's like, it's a little bit of a thinner trade paperback than some of the other ones we've read, which is kind of nice because you can sit there and it's a real easy read. Um, And I really loved that there were stakes in this one. There were real, like Ian was talking about the prison system, there's real world applications that you Mm -hmm. can get uh, through this. And I loved that Supergirl does learn a lesson my my favorite part in the book is when supergirl says i i've been spending too much time trying to fight things that i can't beat maybe it's time to get back to protecting people again and then later she says some days you you wake up and want to change the world others you just want to break the same world in two but most of the time you just have to get on with the business of living and i thought that was a really good insight into supergirl's character that she's she's what she's doing with thomas is she's trying to fight something like she can't just physically punch cancer to death she can't she can't use her heat vision on it and it's something that she's trying to fight something she's trying to fight this thing that she can't beat and it's something that we're you know in a real world situation like we even had a fundraiser um with DCTV podcast, trying to raise yeah. money for Winship to try to fight cancer and try to beat cancer. So it's something that like we're trying to trying to physically and scientifically beat ourselves. And so it it's one of those things where you don't want to give up, but maybe try to focus on the things that you can do instead of the things that you can't do. And right. uh, so I, I really liked the that insight into her character. And I really liked the Krypton flashbacks. Yeah, yes. I know. I know we kind of didn't get into those, but um, one of the things that I've learned over Supergirl Radio is uh, that I really like Kara's backstory. I, I think I like mm-hmm. her story even more so than Superman's because Superman yes. Superman has a, a tragedy in his own story that you know his home world blew up and he doesn't have his real parents. But Kara is from Krypton. She remembers Krypton. She is like the person who like even uh Jorel says um that that Krypton lives through Kara. And so I think that's what's so interesting about her story is that she is this person who can remember what people were like on Krypton, what they wore, you know, how, you know, what their culture was. And so I really liked seeing those flashbacks to Kara's time on Krypton and the interacting with her family and her babysitting baby Cal 
And so I really liked seeing those flashbacks. And so I, I, that was kind of probably, probably my favorite part of it. So there mm. were a lot of things that I really liked about the story. I just wish the time jumps <laughs> yeah. had been done a little better. Definitely. I think the time jumps were, were one of the things that I, I was also not crazy about. Um, I mean, I've already talked about the fact that I, uh, the things that I like, um, her character development. Um, I thought the writing, for the most part, except for the time jumps, was very tight, very straightforward. You knew exactly what was going on. Um, the the art, you know, for the most part, was uh, was also very straightforward and and helped the storytelling and didn't rather than hurt it. Um, a couple of things that I didn't like, uh, as I mentioned before. Wonder Woman and and Superman continuing to insist that they know better. <laughs> and, you know, that um, while I, I disagree with with that being the the overall theme of the of the trade to the reader, I do think that from a character perspective, that wasn't a great thing. Like, I, I really want Superman and Wonder Woman to just be like, OK, you know what? We're taking the training wheels off. You'll have to learn as you go like we did. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you guys think that Supergirl would have forced something on somebody if Superman didn't step in? I got the vibe that she wanted the same thing that, that Superman did, even though she probably would have been more impatient about it. Like, why don't they want to do what I want to do? But I don't think that she would have forced something on the parents if, if they said no, ultimately. Like, I felt like she wanted to try to explain and convince, like, what, not convince, but to, well, yeah, to convince, but I felt like she wanted to explain it to them, and that's why Superman saying, no, I'll do it, that's why that sort of bothered me. Did you guys feel like she really was going to force that on them? I mean, I don't, uh, because I think if, if, you know, if she were in the position where she was trying to explain it. And then, you know, one look in the mother's eyes, if she couldn't convince her, you yeah. know, would have, would have made, like, I, I don't think she would have, you know, forced it on them. But I think what, what Superman was trying to do in that moment wasn't, um, the, the other thing, sorry, I'm, I'm all over the place. It's okay. They know, they, they know Superman, right? Like he's, he's been their hero for a while. And, Supergirl is still a new arrival. So when it comes to explaining stuff like this to them, you need somebody that you can kind of trust explaining it. Yeah, um, that makes so sense. In, in this case, I didn't think that Superman was like taking over for her when he decided to explain it. I think he was like, okay, look, th- if this is what you want to do, I have to be the one to do it because they know me. Um, you're still like a new variable. <laughs> like if, if they're going to listen to anybody, they're going to listen to me because I've been here. So, no, I don't think that she would have, um, but I also think that it was important to kind of, you know, not let her spiral um, because I feel like and, – and she ended up spiraling anyway. So um, I think he was trying yeah. to nip that obsession in the bud that, you know, you don't want to lose sleep over this because you're not going to be able to save everybody. And, and just like any doctor, just like any, you know, firefighter or police officer that, like, you know, <laughs> saves lives for a living – if you lose sleep over every single person you can't save, you won't be able to do your job. I did get a little concerned about Supergirl at one point, though, because doesn't she go into Thomas's hospital room and take some of his hair? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if she does that without his his parents' permission or his doctor's permission, and she just kind of goes in there and does it, and so mm-hmm. I was a little concerned that she was going to try to bring Thomas back without letting anybody know. But of course, she does end up taking his mother off to have a talk with her and kind of try to convince her to try something. So uh, there is that. So she, I think did over time learn that, Hey, I, I can't just do this without asking permission. This is, this is not something that I can decide on myself. So I, I got a little concerned, but she, she did the right thing in the end. Yeah. And I think I do trust that, um, the car Zorel that we've come to know, uh, would eventually come to that conclusion. I think the the only debate is how long it will take her and what mistakes she'll make in the meantime Right. Um, <laughs> while she's figuring it out. Um, 50 years minus three minutes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was so... And that's the other thing, too, is that those time jumps, you know, were obviously related to the events of the previous trades that we've read. Um, the stuff with the Green Lantern and the, you know, the the device she can use to time jump that uh, that she was given to go help the Green Lanterns do that thing that I've forgotten about now because it was so convoluted and seemingly <laughs> so long ago. Right. Um, but, like, it bothers me when comic stories are... And obviously this, you know, these issues came out in succession. So, like, you would have been reading this in single issues, um... So it might have made more sense. And please, uh, any listeners out there who who want to dispute it, please let me know if it, it makes sense or not as you're reading it in single issues. But um, to me, it, it bothers me when stories are reliant upon backstory and canon and, you know, like however many, you know, 20, 30, 50 years of history in order to understand them. Yeah. Um, because the thing about superhero stories is that they should be like you should be able to have a superhero doing anything. Like the the point is that they are an archetype. They are a a character that you can see yourself in, that you can see people you know in, uh, dealing with stuff that we we deal with in our lives. So like the the details of like, well, this happened on this planet and blah blah, like kind of shouldn't matter as much as what situation can we put this hero in to reflect something that's happening in our lives or in the world. Um, so that kind of bugged me that like the whole time travel ending thing was like going back to two trades ago or whatever it was. Also, as far as the things I didn't like, I just have to say, um, I definitely had a preference for Drew Johnson's pencils over Brad Walker's pencils. Um, not that I want to pit them against each other or have them be in a fight, but um, <laughs> Drew Johnson, I was like, I, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, these drawings look great. Supergirl looks great, blah, blah, blah. And then I got to Way of the World Part 3, and I was like, who is that? Is that Kara? That looks like some other chick in her outfit. I have no idea who this is. Oh, and also her costume throughout. I Those sleeves, I can't with the sleeves. <laughs> just the, it was those those pointy gold sleeves on the end. Like I'm just like, why? Why are yeah, those? Yeah, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of practical sense although i did like her in 50 years in the future that she's you know managed to cover her midriff 50 years down the line um and the dress still looks cute like it's just a full body supergirl dress that's still very clingy but it covers her stomach which is really (laughs) nice and still looks cute (laughs) and i hope it didn't take that long for that to happen (laughs) yeah (laughs) it took 50 years and then she was like hmm my stomach's cold (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
but yeah, so I guess we'll just have a last go around before we wrap up our conversation on this uh, trade. Um, what are your big takeaways from the book, uh, positive or negative? Um, what did you take away from it? Do Do you want my initial takeaway or what I'm thinking now <laughs> after Both. our conversation? Okay, my initial takeaway <laughs> is that living in the status quo is easy to do when you dismiss teenagers. <laughs> that was my huh. initial takeaway. <laughs> huh. um, but... But now a lot of the points you guys have brought up are really good points. And so there's, there's more for me to mull over. Like my initial takeaway was, wow, I was expecting a great exploration of what superheroes can do. And I got a cop out. But, but now um, you guys brought up a lot of great points to consider. So to be continued, ellipses. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff in this book, I've, I thought. And uh, I, 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 as, as, as we keep reading and, and watching things, I, I can learn more things about the Supergirl character and see where some of her frustrations lie and what her personality uh, can, you know, what traits of her personality go in each story. And I think her, her frustration with the fact that she couldn't save everyone on the planet I thought was very Supergirl because I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I know every superhero probably would want to do that, but she's the one asking those questions. Like, why can't we do this? If we had the chance to do it, shouldn't we take it? And uh, to me, that's that seemed very Supergirl that she would be asking that and the, the, the mentors would be like, no, no, don't do that. Um, so I did, I did like the takeaway that she uh, is learning things as she goes and as she uh, goes about her superheroing and that I was glad to see that she learned something and that there were stakes in what she was learning, that uh, there were consequences to her, her actions and that she realized that later on. So uh, I, I'm always glad to see when a superhero learns something from their situation that they're going, uh, going through. And I am, yes. um, I too, I love her in this, uh, in this story. And for the first time, I think this is where she really starts to gel for me in the comics. Um, I feel like in this, we, ha- in this, uh, story arc, we have kind of the most fully formed Supergirl we've had. Um, and I like that. I, you know, and obviously she's still learning. We're all, you know, all of us growing and changing every day. Um, but sh- there's a core to who she is that I experienced more here than I have in any of the past stories we've read. Um, but my one takeaway, and it's funny, I, it's not really a takeaway so much as an acknowledgement that I still have trouble with this whole idea. Um, and I'm about to get, you know, get in touch with my Trekkie self for a second here. Oh, oh yeah, it's going there. Um, <laughs> no, cause this, uh, trade really made me think about, my feelings about the Prime Directive in Star Trek. Oh, I um, thought about that too, actually. Oh, well, there you go. See, and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm sure any Trekkie who reads this will think the same thing. Um, for, for the two of you who, out there who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, the Prime Directive is basically the idea in the Star Trek universe and the Federation where they won't interfere with the development of a planet. So if if a planet is, you know behind them at a certain stage of development, they won't impose technology on them. They won't, they'll let them develop at their own pace and come up with it on their own. But then they totally, you know, depending on the situation, 
go back on that directive all the time and interfere all the time. But then when it seems really important that they should get involved, they're like, nope, we can't because the prime directive says we can't. <laughs> um, and so I found myself thinking about that in relation to this because, you know, if you have technology from an alien planet um, or, you know, from the future, from the past, wherever you get it that can save someone, um, are we ready for that? And, you know, yes, it would be great if we could use it to save everyone. But then you also have to think about, you know, where are we in our development? What, what steps are we ready for? And are we running before we can walk in this case, you know? And what other problems would that magic cure bring? You know, because if we, if we have that kind of a cure before we're ready, who might take advantage of that? Will that end up on the black market and people start selling it? Like, it's, it's a whole other, you know, bunch of problems that you have to think about. Um, so I remember when I was watching Star Trek when I was a kid, I would always be like, you should totally give them the weapons. Why wouldn't you give them the weapons? They're <laughs> clearly the underdog in this fight. If you gave them phasers, they would totally be helped. Um, and then, of course, as I get older, I'm like, well, maybe they shouldn't have phasers because war is bad. And um, maybe this would just escalate <laughs> things to the point where you can't come back. Oh, yes, I see now. Um, so... Uh, but I think that that's something that, that, you know, we struggle with even as adults. You know, like obviously I'm not quite the same naive kid anymore, but I still sometimes wonder if, you know, we should just have the magic technology from the future and just use it versus letting us go at our own snail pace and what's better. Well, I was even thinking, like I appreciated, you know, as someone who has been through cancer, I appreciated that Supergirl was wanting to cure it. I, yeah. I, I appreciated her desire to try to do what she could to make sure that that didn't happen to anybody else. But then mm -hmm. I also started to think about, is it I Am Legend with Will Smith where they like find the cure for cancer and then everybody turns into zombies? Is that the right <laughs> movie? Well, I, I know that everybody turns into vampire zombie creatures. Yeah, okay. So, so it's one of those things where it's like, what if something bad happens as a consequence to wanting to try to get rid of this. You know, it's one of those things that I think about sometimes. Like, I hope we find a cure for cancer, and I hope we can get rid of it and figure out a way to, you know, some, pe some people think, you know, if you eat a certain uh, food, you know, if you eat lots of fruits or if you have a lot of vitamin D, like there are things that we can do to prevent it and try mm -hmm. to combat it. But, you know, cancer's been around for a really, 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 really long time. So I don't know what will happen, but... You know, I think it's always good to keep fighting and keep trying and, and do all of that. But sometimes sometimes I do wonder if there are consequences. And I think Supergirl was a, a good character in this story to explore those different avenues. Like we want to fight it and we want to cure it. But what if there are consequences to our actions and when we try to do that? So I, I think that just opens up a lot of discussion points for me to think about in terms of yeah. like the whole cancer situation. So I think it was, it was good for me to see like, you know, I appreciate you Supergirl for trying to cure cancer. Um, yeah. but it, but it is something that maybe like you talking about the prime directive, like maybe that's something we as a human race would have to figure out for ourselves. You know, maybe that isn't something that we should have, you know, <laughs> what if we did get alien technology or use resurrection man and something yeah. bad happened, you know, like it's, it's something to consider. 
And so, you know, not only that, but like, you know, because I also appreciated the fact that it meant so much to her to cure, but also she's not really qualified. Like, I I don't think that this, you know, this uh, by any means um, means that in in this universe, they're going to stop trying to cure cancer. That's not it at all. But Supergirl's not a doctor. She's not a scientist. She (laughs) she's a superhero who punches things in the face and like. She's not – if anybody's going to cure cancer, she's not the person to do it. And I think that's the other thing to to think about is like she's knowing what her own limits are. <laughs> like, you know, like that's if, really somebody asked, if somebody asked me to cure cancer, I can't cure cancer. I don't yeah. know for medicine. <laughs> I'm like I will give money to the scientists so that they can cure cancer, but I don't know medicine, so I can't do it. Um, and it's acknowledging that limitation. Like, yes, if I could snap my fingers and cure cancer tomorrow and I had that magic power – I would totally do it, but I don't. And I think it's important to let, like, everybody should do the job they're best at doing. Um, Supergirl is best at protecting people, and I think that's what she learns. Scientists are best at, you know, figuring out how the world works and how we can use that knowledge to to make our lives better. They should be able to do that. I also think that superheroes can can explore bigger picture things than punching the criminal kind of and and protecting yeah. people from avalanches. Uh, I, I do think that as a character, Supergirl could have, uh, could have explored other avenues on this journey, but that that's definitely a great point about how she's not a doctor. However, I do think that, that there is potential for superheroes to explore different kinds of themes. Definitely. No, I, I agree with that. And uh, I, you know, the fact that she's starting the discussion is super important. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, and, and to have a character like Supergirl talking about it, you know, will have real world implications. Like, you know, Supergirl exploring a theme through one of her stories means that the reader or the viewer, once the show starts, will be able to think <laughs> about that too. And, you know. Yeah apply it to their own lives. So I definitely agree with that, Ian. Um, I think that wraps it up. Um, I mean, we've, we really, for such a slim volume, we've had a lot to say about it, and I'm glad for that. That's a um, good thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And now, as always, we are going to wrap up with some uh, listener feedback that we've gotten from our various channels. Um, first, we'll start uh, with uh, Ange uh, on Twitter, who had a great speculation about the big bad of the CBS Supergirl TV series, possibly being a DC Comics character called Commander Blanks. Uh, Ange tweeted, quote, We know there's a commander role. We know the big threats are aliens. So a bad commander who's an alien? Hashtag boom! (laughs) 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 Which uh, I kind of love that. I, I love hashtag boom, and I want to use that with everything. Um, <laughs> as a reminder, we do know that uh, Farhan Tahir um, has been cast to play a character known as the Commander in the pilot. Um, and he's described as, quote, an alien military expert leading the forces aligned against Supergirl. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know much about Commander Blanks. I tried to look him up, and from what I can tell, he's best known as a Martian Manhunter villain. Love so, Martian Manhunter. So that would be Sorry. pretty cool. <laughs> so maybe if Martian Manhunter doesn't show up in the DCCU, maybe he can uh, show up on the TV in the TV universe. Definitely. Yes, please. <laughs> 
that, that's a that's a that's a vote for Martian Manhunter from Ian. <laughs> Check <us>. mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also got an email from Steven who writes, quote, I'm a huge fan of Supergirl and found your podcast through a promo on a Geek Out Loud podcast. When I heard it, I knew I had to listen to your show because I love Supergirl. I've been a fan of Supergirl ever since I randomly found the two-disc special edition DVD of the 1984 film at Kmart about 14 years ago. For a long time, I kept my liking of Supergirl to myself because I'm a guy and felt weird admitting to liking a female superhero. Needless to say, I don't care anymore, and I embrace my love for Supergirl, Batgirl, Power Girl, and Wonder Woman without worry. And that is so awesome, Stephen. First off, thanks for listening. And second, uh, thanks for, you know, being open about being cool with female superheroes. I think that's awesome. It's it's funny. Yeah. It's funny, like, for guys, and I don't want to speak for all guys or for even for you with us uh, right now, Ian, but, uh, <laughs> like, I love Superman. I love Batman. I love The Flash. I love a lot of male superheroes. So I totally. think it's... I think it's not something that the guys should shy away from because I think a good superhero is a good superhero. So I don't think that uh, should matter very much. You know, I know plenty of guys who who also, you know, love Supergirl, love Wonder Woman, love, you know, all of the female um, superheroes. Um, just to talk about Marvel for a second. I, I know plenty of guys who are reading A-Force right now who love um, female superheroes like Captain Marvel and like... Uh, you know, Kamala Khan and like, you know, She-Hulk. And it always bothers me whenever people are like, you know, if you're going to put a superhero, a female superhero on a T-shirt, it's automatically a girl's T-shirt. Yeah. Because it's like, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> Black Widow's an Avenger. She can be on a guy's shirt with the other guys as part of the team. Like, that's not a girl shirt, like, necessarily. Um so yeah, totally. We applaud you and you should not be ashamed because there are plenty of guys that are right there with you loving these awesome heroes just as much. And big thanks to Geek Out Loud for spreading the word about us. Yes. So, uh, make sure to check them out at geekoutpodcast.com. A, uh, a listener by the name of Scanner51 uh, wrote in to clear up some confusion about the DC animated universe. And I'm so glad that this person did this. Uh, they said, quote, I want to correct you guys on one little thing. You've been watching the animated movies. I got all of them and I love them all. But you guys and some listeners have called them DCAU. Not true. They're classified as DCU movies. DCAU is Batman, Superman, Batman Beyond, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, uh, along with Zeta Project and Static Shock. Hope this clears up any confusion. And yes, thank you so much, because we should not be using those things interchangeably. Um, so DCAU is apparently the reserved exclusively for the TV cartoons and not the animated films as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, because like the Batman, the animated series kind of crosses over with Superman, the animated series, and Batman Beyond kind of comes out of Batman, the animated series, and Justice League and Justice League Unlimited have some of the same voice actors that are in Batman, the animated series, and Superman. So they all connect. So that's that's why they are the animated universe is because it's a shared universe. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, apologies for that. And definitely we should not be using those interchangeably. Yep. Good point. Well, we also got an email from Annika asking us two questions. Number one, are you going to do some episodes on Superman family adventures or is it too babyish? And number two, do superheroes have birthdays? 
So in uh, response to the first question, we don't currently have any plans to go over Superman Family Adventures, but if we have some more time before the show starts or during a hiatus even, we could definitely add it to our list. And if you, totally. if anybody else has any favorite stories that you want us to cover, send us an email at supergirlradio at gmail.com with your recommendations. We might not be able to get to all of them before the show starts in November, but we can always use them if we want to do some episodes during a break or maybe even next summer. So uh, send those in if you've got any recommendations. And since you asked, according to DC's 1976 calendar, Kara Zor-El slash Supergirl was born on September 22nd. So, <laughs> yes, according to DC, superheroes do have birthdays, and we can celebrate Kara's on September 22nd. And Solomon Grundy was born on a Monday. He was born on a Monday. <laughs> yes. Um, now, my question would be, do superheroes have superhero birthday parties? Um and I feel like that would be hilarious if somebody like Supergirl had a superhero-themed party mm. and they all wore, like, the party hats with other heroes' faces on them. Actually, Dollmaker, um, he makes it very known that his birthday is on Christmas. And I'm not going to say which story it is, but um, it's very creepy. <laughs> oh, God. That's all I'm going to say. Um, and as for, you know, anything being too babyish, um, nothing is too babyish. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, the characters, what's great about these characters is that they apply just as much to grownups as they do to kids. And obviously for each age group, they explore different stuff. But, um, you know, it's all worth talking about and it's all important. So if there's a way for us to fit it in, I'm sure we will uh, fit it in. And it's all part of the character. Um, any, yeah. Anything that we can cover that's part of the character, we will definitely try to do that. Well, if you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. And just as a reminder, now that CBS's Supergirl has an official internet presence, be sure to bookmark cbs.com slash supergirl and you can follow uh, the show on twitter at supergirlcbs and like the show on facebook at facebook.com slash supergirlcbs yep and i've already done all of those things um <laughs> as for supergirl radio uh, we are available on itunes and stitcher so if you have some time we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review if you can and we are a part of the DC TV Podcast Network. So if you also like Gotham, Arrow, and The Flash, and also Legends of Tomorrow, if you want to keep up with that new show, subscribe to our DC TV Podcast mega feed and follow at DC TV Podcasts on Twitter and like DC TV Podcasts on Facebook. And big thanks to all who donated to our fundraiser for the Winship Cancer Institute and listened Yay! to our podcast on uh, <laughs> our podcast marathon on Saturday, May 16th. We raised a total of 1125 dollars wow. and had an awesome time doing it. It was fun to have all the podcasts together and all the listeners who uh, participated in the, in the live chats. And uh, as soon as we get in all of our donated items for the raffle, we'll draw some names and, and give you guys some free stuff. So anybody who donated, um, we are going to give some things away. So stay tuned for that. Definitely. I'm so sorry I couldn't be there, but I saw that, that uh, final figure at the end of all that. And I was like, yes. So congratulations to, to all of you who, who participated. And thank you to Michael Bailey for uh, stepping in for me and uh, having a wonderful chat with Rebecca. Um, 
we always love having you on the show and you were a great co-host. Oh, for sure. Um, Ian, where can people find you on the internet? Well, on the interweb, I'm on Twitter <laughs> at Ian underscore Boucher. That's B-O-U-C-H-E-R. It looks like Boucher. It's French-Canadian. So <laughs> feel free to reach out if you want to talk comics or movies or whatever, or if you need a recommendation, because I'm a librarian. And I'm also working on an essay anthology book with Sequart organization about superhero justice, where it's a series of essays comparing the real world with comic book worlds. So you can stay tuned about that with me on Twitter as well. As for me, as always, uh, I'm an assistant editor at The Mary Sue. So you can find me at themarysue.com slash Teresa Giacino. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Teresa Giacino. Um, my blog is The Teresa Giacino Experience, which you can find on WordPress at teresagiacino.wordpress.com. And uh, on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash Teresa Giacino Experience. You can follow me on Twitter at DerbyKid. That's D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D. And you can watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash DuckMilkProd. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And join us next week when we'll be discussing Sterling Gates' trade paperback, Who is Superwoman? Till then, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Teresa Giacino. And if you ever start to spend too much time trying to fight things you can't beat, maybe it's time to get back to protecting people. Protecting people.